Amen. All right, check this out. She began her, listen, she began her bloody reign, literally, in the year 1553. In fact, that was her name, Bloody Mary. You guys hear of her? Yeah. And uh, she was called that because even though her predecessor uh, had instituted Protestant, evangelical, biblical Christianity throughout England, this lady wanted everybody to go back to the false teachings of Roman Catholicism, a false salvation based on your own works instead of the work of Jesus Christ, hello, on the cross. The problem was, if you dare disagree with this lady, you died. In fact, hundreds of Christians were put to death, literally burned alive, just for believing in biblical Christianity, just what we're doing here today. Okay. In fact, that's why we also still sing a nursery rhyme commemorating her attempts to force Catholicism down people's throat. Maybe you've heard of it. It goes like this. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in the row. The silver bells were the sanctus bell that the Catholics carried with them. The cockle shells were the badges that the Catholic pilgrims wore to their shrines. And the maids in a row were the nuns. And the garden she was trying to grow was to force Catholicism down the people's throats. But two men weren't going to stand for it. One was a biblical scholar under King Edward who not only taught true Orthodox Christianity, but he also encouraged all the people to have daily Bible readings and scripture memorization for themselves. The other man was an influential preacher who was also under King Edward, and uh, he was not only an earnest student of the Bible himself, but he encouraged the scriptures to be known by all the English people and even preached sermons on how all men should serve the Lord out of a true heart, not some fake outward show that was witnessed with the Roman Catholic Church. And so what was the reward for this? Bloody Mary condemned them to die. Soon they were rounded up, they were bound to stakes, they were surrounded up with wood, and one of the men said to the other, he says, be of good cheer, brother, for God will either soothe the fury of the flame or strengthen us to abide it. And the other man replied back, be of good cheer, my friend, as well, for we shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England that will never be put out. And as the fires were lit around them, both men cried out, Lord, receive my spirit, God, receive my soul, and they died. But upon their death, history records that a strange thing happened. Rather than rejoicing, the people actually began to cry. In fact, there came upon such a spirit of sorrow on these people and a sense of guilt for having taken part in the death of these two godly men that from that day forward, their death began to build a huge resentment against the Catholic Church and Bloody Mary. So much so that in less than three years later, Bloody Mary had died a horrible death herself and her successor returned England to its former Protestant biblical environment. The men's names were Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. How many guys going to name your next two cats that? Well, you should, because, man, this is awesome. Can you believe this? These guys taking on the establishment, right, of the day, saying, absolutely not. We will take a stand for Jesus Christ, even if it costs our lives. Now, is that cool or what? Okay, and again, I'd say that's a, that's, a, that's a life worth living for as a Christian. Go figure, okay? But once again, this is the problem, folks. Even though God's the same God as, as, uh, uh, with Hugh and, and Latimer and Ridley, and, and, and we're just as much Christians as they are, right? I mean, what's going on today? In the American church, we read the Bible in one hand. It's the same Bible they had. God's the same God, right? We read the same Bible. We look at our lives in the other, and we're going, something's wrong here. Something doesn't compute. It's not matching up. How come these guys, like Latimer and Ridley, get to have this amazing, awesome, fruitful, literally country-changing walk with Jesus Christ? And here I am, fumbling around in the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I got a life worth giving up, right? But folks, this is the good news. This is the heart of our study. It doesn't have to be that way. That kind of life, a life worth living for, like Latimer and Ridley had, is available to every single Christian. Once again, let's do it again. Turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you.
okay? It really is true, and that's why uh, we're going to continue our study, A Life Worth Living For. Now, what we're doing, as you know, we're taking a look at the different keys I believe are absolutely scriptural pivotal if we're going to have those amazing walks with Jesus Christ. How many of you guys would say that somebody's probably out there mm, trying to mess it up, right? And he's called Satan, in case you're wondering, right? And this is what our study is trying to get us back on track. Uh, don't fall for his trap so we can be fruit-bearing Christians in these last days, okay? We saw the first six times that first key to having a life worth living for is you and I experiencing God's joy. Why? Because if you notice that things are kind of freaky in the world, just a little. <laughs> hey, how was that economy this week? Up and down, all over the place, right? right? And so as Christians, what's the witness, man? Hey, it doesn't matter, economy, up, down, whatever's going on in the world. Hey, who cares, right? I've got the joy of Jesus Christ. And what a powerful witness that is in a joyless world, right? But then we saw the last seven times, the second key, hey, we don't have the privilege of being joyful Christians, but why? Peaceful Christians, man, when everything's cracking apart, flying apart, and you and I, hey, it's going to be all right. All he needs is Jesus, man, Okay? It's a powerful witness. And the enemy knows this. And that's why he tries to trick us into short circuit. God's already given us his joy. He's already given us his peace. On top of salvation, we haven't even got to heaven yet. It's awesome. But the enemy comes in and uh, tricks us to short circuit that. And last time we saw the fourth way is by getting to have a misplaced mind. Okay, a misplaced mind. And what we saw is the enemy will get us to have this unrealistic expectation in life that says that life's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And we should always get everything we want at all times and a pain-free existence. And I want it, and I want it now. And, and Ken, help us out again. Daddy, I want a golden goose now. Yeah, see, we get free from that attitude. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, right? But that's what people's attitude is today. And you live that way. It's not just unrealistic. It's unbiblical. Right? You're not always going to get the golden goose. You're not always going to get your way. Okay? God has promised us that you're going to have some problems this side of heaven. You're going to have to do without sometimes. You're going to be in a prison of circumstances once in a while. Right? So it's okay. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Okay, you don't have to worry. You just do what God says. Don't get consumed with your problems. Don't get consumed with your pain, your provision, whatever it is. Just get consumed with Jesus Christ. Pray, and he'll take care of you. And enjoy God's peace that passes all understanding. In fact, he'll even guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Nobody can bust through that. And you just keep being that godly uh, witness, okay? But that's not the second way the enemy tricks us in the short-circuiting God's peace, giving us this unbiblical attitude, isn't just with these unrealistic expectations, I've got to have it now, right? Is this one, it's an ungrateful disposition, okay? An ungrateful disposition. Now, again, last week, if you're here, we saw that this unrealistic expectation, this pipe dream, this lie that people buy into, that I demand a perfect life, no pain whatsoever, okay? It's a lie. But again, we saw the world comes in with a price tag and says, I'll give you a, fix, a quick fix, right? To give you that perfect pain-free existence. And it comes with horrible side effects, okay? It's like praying to God. Instead, it's just too easy, okay? But here's the problem. The longer you persist in this lie that you can somehow have this perfect life, right? And it's guaranteed to you. And if you can't manufacture it, then other people owe it to you. The whole entitlement thing that we see today. The longer you live like that, it's a lie. It cannot, it happened. It's a lie. It, it cannot satisfy, it cannot deliver. It creates nothing but pain and destruction. Now, here's the point. The longer you push that, you move into the second stage and you get an ungrateful disposition. You get mad. You get disgruntled. You get kind of grumpy. Have you ever run into those odd things called a, Grumpy Christian? 
something doesn't, it ain't working. What do you, whoa, that's like icy hot. That's like a peaceful war. What, what, it doesn't work. What's going on here? Well, well here's why. Because you're living, even as a Christian, you get into this pipe gym, you say, hey, I'm guaranteed a perfect life. And so every day you get up and you go, hey, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get all these pain-free things and these pills and these methodologies and all this stuff and I'm going to get up today and it's going to be a perfect day. You might as well hit your head against the wall. But then you don't listen to God, you don't pray, you don't trust him, right? And, and listen to him says, you're not going to have a perfect life, so what do you do? You get up the next day, hey, he's going to have a perfect life, everything's going to be great, everybody's going to love me. Hit your head against the wall. You get up the next day, what do you do? Hey, pretty soon, you're grumpy, right? And you're frustrated, man, that's horrible every day. It's like that movie Groundhog Day, and you never get it right. You don't get to close the movie, it's still going. <laughs> Listen to what God says. You will get ungrateful. And believe it or not, this is exactly what Paul said would happen when you make that first mistake and you put self above God. Okay? I didn't say it. God did. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. And as we take a look here, what happens when self comes first? What kind of exciting, wonderful fruit? Uh, is born with that. Well, it's not good. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as we've seen this passage before in our prophecy studies, uh, this is a major mega sign that we're living in the last days. These are characteristics of a society that you can see appear on the scene. When you see these appear on the scene, you're in that generation. We don't know the day nor the hour, but you're in that generation called the last days. Now, as we read through this, okay, uh, not only pay attention to what comes first and what follows, but I uh, challenge you, okay, uh, Name one of these that is not happening today, which means we're in the last days. I didn't say it, God did, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's take a look. Verse 1 says, but mark this, in other words, pay attention, there's going to be awesome days ahead. No, ter- no <laughs> you're going to have hard times, right? There's going to be terrible times, terrible times in the last days. And notice the very first thing on his list, not the second, not the 20th, right? The very first thing, what is going to, why is it so terrible? Why is it so horrible? Why does it keep getting worse and worse and worse? What's the first thing he mentions on his list nearly 2,000 years ago? Believe it or not, people will be lovers of, wow. Tell me that's not happening today. Tell me that's not being trained into kids from wee high and the school, the media, everything. It's all about self, 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 self. Paul says, when you see that society, you're living in the last days. But not only that, when you put self first, it produces rotten fruit. Notice what follows. People are going to be lovers of themselves. And here's, here, you just open up Pandora's box. Now you're going to be lovers of money and boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents. And what? Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, a rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying his power. Hang out with these people because they're a great influence on you. Your life will be awesome. Oh, I'm sorry. Once again, wrong translation. Have nothing to do with them. And can I be obvious with the text? If so, if somebody, I don't care if it's another church or whatever, I don't care who it is. If somebody encourages you to love yourself first, can I tell you what the Bible says? Have nothing to do with that. I didn't say God did. Because it will ruin things very quickly if you go down that route. Paul says that, listen, he doesn't just tell us that uh, self-love is a sign you're in the last days, but he then gives us a list of deadly rotten fruit that comes when you put self above God and self above other people. Again, as we saw before, you're supposed to love God first and love your neighbor second. Self is down on the list. 
Okay, so, but notice what was right smack dab about in the middle of that list. He says, you put yourself first. If it's all about self and you and you're guaranteed this and your perfect life and all that stuff we saw last week, he said, eventually you're going to get, what's the word? Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Even as a Christian, after all God's done for us, are you kidding me? I mean, he, we're going to see God's provided greatly for us. But even if all there was to salvation was, praise God, through the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, when my time comes, either the rapture or death, I'm going straight into heaven, not into hell. And if God just left me alone, did not send his Holy Spirit, did not give me his word, it would still be worth it, wouldn't it? And I was left down here just to trudge through the mess. But God, he gives us so much more before we even get to heaven. And yet you're what, ungrateful. This is a side effect of loving yourself first, of, of self. It's your way. You've got to have your things and the way you like it. And you, 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 this entitlement attitude we saw. You're eventually going to get grateful because, again, you're so disgruntled. Every day you're hitting your head on the wall. It just gets frustrating. You're, you're, you're living this pipe dream, this so-called perfect life, which cannot happen, and you develop this nasty attitude because nothing can ever live up to your perfect standards. Do you know only, the only way you could create a perfect life this side of heaven is if you could be God? How many guys can at least acknowledge today that you're not God? Praise God for Bobby. The rest of you will keep praying for you. Okay? And that's our problem. My life, my... No. You're not God. You can't, you can't control everybody. Have you learned this one? Listen, I'm not responsible for somebody else's behavior. But I am accountable to God for my reaction to the behavior. Okay? God is the one that's in charge, folks. You will leave their behavior in his hands, okay? But it's a totally frustrating experience, right? So it's not just wild that a Christian, after all Jesus has done for us, and he could have just left us hanging high and dry, if you will, until we get to heaven and still praise God. But he does so much more. And he blesses us. He takes care of us. And this is what's the ironic thing, even here in America. There should never be an ungrateful Christian ever. Because when you stop and look around, there's all kinds of things to be grateful for. Not just salvation. But our needs are being met. We are not starving. We are not naked. Again, I wouldn't be able to finish my sermon. Right? It's a summoning block <laughs> we saw on Wednesday. All right? We've got food, we've got shelter, but listen, but it's never enough. It's got to be perfect. I've got to have provision this way and that. And you get ungrateful, okay? And the next thing you know, you become infected. Even as a Christian, this is wild. Lots of diseases out there. Have you noticed that today? They're going rampant, right? But there's this new disease out there. It's horrible. It's called affluenza. Have you heard of that? Not influenza. <laughs> okay, this could make you barf, though, I guess. This one's called affluenza. And I hear with each succeeding younger generation, code word whippersnappers, it gets worse, right? <laughs> Some of us adults, right? We have our war stories, right? But, but it's, you tell me if this is a healthy thing to catch. This teenage girl's got it all over her. It's called affluenza. Let's take a look here. Deep in the center of the American suburbs lives a 15-year-old girl named Jenny. By all appearances, she's an average, healthy high school student. But at the heart of her tragic story, we find circumstances that are widespread across her peer group around the country. Jenny awakens every morning in her room, alone, 
upon only a twin-sized bed. Her request to her parents for a larger, newer bed continued to fall on deaf ears. Even her cries for bed linens with a higher thread count go unanswered. Annie lives with her grandmother and two little sisters in a one-room mud hut that has been badly damaged by storms. She sleeps on a grass mat on the hard dirt floor. There is only one blanket for everyone to share. Sadly, teenagers like Jenny only have an average of $267 to spend per month. That's little more than $65 for an entire week. At breakfast, Jenny usually has to fight with her siblings to get the last Pop-Tart in the pantry. On the day she loses the battle, she is forced to eat cereal and fresh fruit. The drive to school every day creates yet another clash with siblings, this time for the coveted location in the car known as shotgun in the front passenger seat. Even when Jenny is victorious, she finds herself cold as the leather seats of her family's BMW lacks seat warmers. To make matters worse, Jenny's mother makes frequent attempts at carrying on an actual conversation with her daughter, unleashing a barrage of small talk upon Jenny from the driver's seat. Annie and her sisters work in the fields to help their grandmother grow corn for their meals. However, their country is suffering from a four-year drought and this year's crops will not yield enough food to carry them through for another year. In Jenny's closet, one will find a serious lack of brand names sewn into her dozens of shirts, jeans, and dresses. Shockingly, she was even made to choose just one purse from Fendi, Gucci, or Louis Vuitton while at the mall with her mother. Annie and her sisters have two dresses each, and none of their clothes fit them well. They have holes and are threadbare in some places. After a long day of working in the fields, the girls spend their time helping their grandmother repair their dilapidated hut or digging holes in the dry riverbed to fetch water. Finding herself in yet another no-win situation, Jenny does her best to remain brave while choosing between tap water and wholesale bottled water to wet her parched mouth. When Annie and her sisters do find water in the dry river beds, it's usually dirty from cows, donkeys, and other animals drinking from the same water hole. There are also countless bacteria and other microorganisms in the water that could make them very sick. Wow. I agree. Tom, we, we, we got to do something. This is horrible. Um, folks, let's please start off by repeating after me. What a sinking brat! <laughs> you know, can you imagine what you ungrateful thing you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you will do something all right. You I mean, it's nuts, right? How could you be so, you got so good? How could you ever be ungrateful, man? It's just totally out of context, right? In fact, I don't know about you, but 
older folks, yeah, all of a sudden it just stirs within you that desire. You got to start sharing some stories of how bad you had it. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that the one it does? Let me, let me give you a couple of them, you young whippersnappers. You thought you had it bad? I'll tell you what. Hey, in my day, we couldn't afford shoes, so we went barefoot. In fact, in the winter, we had to wrap barbed wire around our feet just for traction. You know what I'm saying? Instead of whining about your shoes, I can't. Hey, in fact, in my day, we didn't have MTV or inline skates or any of that stuff. No, it was 45s and regular old metal wheeled roller skates. And the 45s always skipped. So to get them to play right, you have to weigh the needle down with something like quarters, which we never had because our allowances were too small. And then so we'd have to use our skate keys and end up forgetting that we taped them to the record player arm so we couldn't even adjust our skates, which really didn't matter because the crummy metal wheels would kill you if you hit a pebble anyway. In those days, we had real pebbles, not like the fake rocks today, I tell you what. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I mean, it was horrible. In fact, in my day, we didn't have any rocks. We had to go down to the creek and wash our clothes by beating them with our heads. Yeah, that was pretty bad in Kansas. Anyway, in my day, we didn't even have water. We had to smash together our own hydrogen and oxygen atoms, man. It was rough. In fact, in my day, we didn't even have days, Tom. There was only time for work, time for prayer, and time for sleep. And the sheriff would go around town telling everybody, it's time to change. Right? Just rotated it every day. Uh, in fact, in my day, we didn't have these baggy pants, you see. Hey, we wore our pants up around our armpits, and we might have had monstrous wedgies, but we looked snappy. I tell you what, way better than what you see today. And, and in fact, in my day, we didn't have dogs or cats. All I had was Silver Beauty, my beloved paperclip. She's still right here. I love you, girl. Stay right there. <laughs> you kidding me, right? And in my day, hey, we didn't have virtual reality. If a one-eyed, razorback barbarian warrior was chasing you with an axe, you just hope you could outrun the guy. You know, it was just a really rough existence. In fact, in my day, we never wore helmets when we rode our bicycles, amen? Our bikes were seven feet tall, made out of lead, and we fell directly on our heads, and we were proud of it. You know what I'm saying? In fact, in my day, uh, we never heard of all this neurotic stuff and crazy people. We just called them relatives. <laughs> yeah, that was Aunt So-and-so. Everybody understands. You know what I'm saying? You just move on and enjoy the potluck. But, uh, but folks, kids today, can you believe it? Right? How ungrateful. You've got to be kidding me. You've got it so easy compared to what it could be. You've lost your perspective on how good you really got it. God is really taking care of you. Now, I set you up for this. Have you noticed it's not just kids today? It's adults, isn't it? Well, our perspective is way out there, man. It's the same ungrateful attitude. We've got, apparently, affluenza too. It's the same thing, right? We need to listen to our own stories about smashing rocks and sheriffs and stuff, okay? But you've heard adults say the same thing, basically, right? In a different context, it's the same problem. Why am I getting this? How come I can't have that? How come I have this car? Why do I gotta have this car? Why do I gotta have this job? How come I can't have that job? Be thankful you have a car or a job or any of that stuff. Are you what? It could be a lot worse. And on and on it goes. So even as adults, oftentimes we Christians we're just as bratty, just as ungrateful, because we don't do what the Bible says to do. We don't do what the Bible says to do. You don't have to live like that. Anybody, could you imagine somebody coming up to you, hey, tell you what, Dave, I've been noticing for the last six months. Every day when you get up, you go over here to the wall and you start beating your head. I don't know why you're doing that, but uh, I can tell you the good news today, you don't have to. Now, wouldn't you be excited, Dave, if I told you that? Praise God, give it for Dave for playing today, right? Did you know you don't have to live like that? You don't have to be ungrateful. You don't have to be bratty. You don't have to always be frustrated every single day when things don't go your way. Isn't that a horrible thing? Did you know you don't have to? You just do what God says to do. As we saw last week, listen, don't get focused on what you don't have. Praise God for what you do have. 
You need to recall God's provision. Pray, focus on Him, get consumed with Him. But there's another thing. You need to focus on what you do have and get your eyes on what you don't have. And this is what Jesus says in this passage, Matthew chapter 6. We talked about this on Wednesday night study. He says this. Jesus said this. I didn't. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not what? Worry about your life. What was that word we saw last week? It's the same word as anxious in Philippians chapter 4. It's marinato. It's the same word. They both mean consume with self. That's what Jesus says. Don't get consumed with yourself. How about your life? What's he say? How about what you're going to eat? And what you're going to drink? Or what about your body? What you going to wear? Do I have to wear this jacket or these clothes? Or is it, do I really have to drink tap water? <laughs> don't do that. He says, don't do that. He says, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Come on, that's not your focus. What's the key word here? Look. Look, recall, pay attention. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and dare I say, they don't have Walmart. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them, right? Now, how many guys woke up today, and you lifted up the window, and early in the morning, sun's coming up, and all of a sudden you hear, chirp, 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 and you're laid there in bed, and it's just awesome, it's peaceful, it's relaxed. oh, the birds, are so, they're singing, and then all of a sudden you start freaking out because you, wait a second, did I really hear that? And you start listening, and, and you go, whoa, what, what's that? And the birds, they're, they're over there going, hey, man, Bob, I don't know if I'm going to get a worm today. Uh, what's going to happen? What if we go fly over at Denny's and nobody dropped a french fry? We're going to die! Ah! Are you guys glad that the birds don't do that? That's what Jesus is saying. Look at those birds. Who takes care of the birds? Um, here's a big job on the whole planet. God does. Look at the birds. I take care of them. They ain't starving. They're fine. They even get french fries nowadays. <laughs> right? And coffee if they go to Starbucks. <laughs> right? They got it good. So he said, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. What are you freaking out for? Your father feeds them. Are you, are you not much more valuable than that? You're my child. I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry, right? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't labor. They don't spin. They don't have factories to go clothe themselves with. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, they use it for fuel, like, fire starter okay will he not much more clothe you oh you of what little faith so do not worry don't get up bang your head against the wall do it again every single day and then wonder why you got so many lumps on your head don't worry about what we're gonna eat what are we gonna drink what are we gonna wear he said for the pagans do this don't don't act like a pagan no wonder you don't have god's peace the pagans run after all this stuff. Your heavenly father, he knows that you need him. Here's what you do. You seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, he says. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Here's a bombshell. Each day's got enough trouble of its own. Turn to somebody and say, amen. <laughs> yeah. Okay? And that's what's going on here. But this is what the Bible says. Jesus speaking, he says, if you don't want to live a peaceless existence, i.e. one full of worry, then stop loving yourself first. It's not about you. Don't focus on that self and this and what self has and self doesn't. No. He says, first, you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of you. You just get busy loving him. You just get busy seeking him. You just get busy serving him, doing whatever he puts before you moment by moment, and he'll take care of your needs. 
Just like this morning, when you did the Christian thing and you picked up the piece of trash in the parking lot, it ended up being not only, praise God, that's what we should do as Christians, uh, you got a free cheeseburger out of it. Talk to Debbie. That was wild. That was this morning, right? I'm going to pick up trash now. I'm hungry. No, it's just, God will take care. You just seek for his kingdom, his righteousness. He'll take care of you. Sometimes supernaturally, okay? But he also says there apparently there's something you need to do first according to this text about his provision that I think we have totally forgotten and it leads to these ungrateful... He says we need to recall the provision that he's already made. It's the phrase there, look! What's he saying? Recall! Stop! Don't go down that train. Don't think that thought. Stop! Interrupt your process of thoughts. Look! Recall! of how I provide for the birds. Look, recall how I provided for the flowers. Why? Because here's how it works. When you recall the provision that God's already made, including your own, Christian, not just the birds, not just the flowers, you're going to see that, listen, you're not getting the raw end of the deal. You don't have it as bad as it could be, right? Okay, so why are you getting grumpy? And I'm telling you, folks, just something as simple as recalling God's provision. In the midst of that train of thought, we have to train our brains. No, stop. Don't, don't entertain that thought. Don't, don't be focusing on, I don't have this. Or, I can't wear this. Or, stop. I got food. I got shelter. I got clothes. If I have a need, I just pray to God. I seek him. I serve him. I may not have the answer of how I'm going to get a cheeseburger yet, but God's going to take care of me, even if he has to do it supernaturally. That's your focus. Stop. Look around. Pay attention. And then, actually, you really develop this fantastic attitude. It's a great witness. Have you ever run into one of those Christians that you think really should be, this is how it's supposed to be, Christians, who even though they have hard times, they just got that, the polar opposite of the ungrateful. They got this great attitude. I mean, it's like nothing can get them down. Have you run across that? This is what you do when you live like this. This is the attitude you get. It's awesome. Okay, it's like this lady. This is cool. One day this lady woke up, and she looked in the mirror, and she saw that she had, listen, she only had three hairs left on her head. Yeah. So she says, great. Uh, I think I'll braid my hair today. So she did, and she had a wonderful day. It was great. The next day she woke up, she looked in the mirror, and she saw that she had only two hairs left on her head. And she goes, hmm, I guess I'll part my hair down the middle. Right? And she did, and she had a wonderful day. So the next day she wakes up, she looks in the mirror, and she saw she only had one hair left on her head. And she goes, wow, I get to wear my hair in a ponytail. Right? <laughs> so she did. She had a wonderful day. It was a truly wonderful day. And the next day she woke up, she looked in the mirror, and she saw there was not a single hair left on her head. And she goes, man, thank you, Lord. I was running out of things to do with my hair. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that an awesome attitude? Wouldn't that be great to have that? It doesn't matter what you got in life. It doesn't matter if you got one hair, two hair, three hairs, no hairs. It doesn't matter. You can have this great attitude. Thank you, God. Thank you. You're good to me. You can. You really, you can. I didn't, Jesus, all you got to do is recall the provision that God's already made for you, life is good. And when you do, I'm telling you, it will, it will instantly stop this ungrateful attitude. I'm going to give you an example. And this was when I was back in New York and pastoring there, and uh, Billy was younger. <clears throat> He's getting more into manly stuff, taking 
showers. But you know, when kids are younger, they always want to take a bath, right? Back then, back. And back then, all we had was just like the tub shower combo thing, right? So you had to be in the tub to take a shower. So anyway, so back in New York, every morning I'm getting up to take a shower. I'm always digging out toys in the bathtub. I mean, always, right? And that's because Billy, at that time, not only has to have one or two or three or more toys in the bathtub every single time, okay, but the next day he has to have not the same toys. No, no, no. That's against the law, right? He has to have one or two or three more new toys to add to the existing toys. So I'm not making this up. At the end of the week, I would go from, to, at the beginning of the week, taking my hands and scooping toys into the back so I could have my little square to take my shower. I would have to use like a shovel. There's so many toys in there. It's like, and I kid you not. And one day I'm actually uh, getting, a little, I'm losing my piece a little. Right? And so, because I'm always in a hurry, right? And there's toys, and you step on them, right? Oh, right? And you do the happy dance, and, right? And so, especially those uh, uh, Legos, they should use those in the military as mines. You stepped on one at the, the, the parent at night on the carpet, it's like, whoa, get you. I digress. Anyway, so we're back to the bathtub thing. And, <laughs> and I, I kid you not, I was like, that's it. So I did the dad thing, right? And I decided. We're going to have a family meeting, right? Did the dad thing, and I was getting ready to establish the solution, and the solution was the new non-toy rule for the bathtub. I was going to outlaw toys in the bathtub. I had it figured out. I was going to fix it, and in my mind, I was playing the tape of this one wonderful meeting that was going to give me my peace back, and all of a sudden, bang, God had me recall something, and here's what he did. He had me do an instant replay of this funeral I did when I was pastoring in Northern California. And it was a Christian couple there who had twin boys and they were, they were born premature. And it was, it was close there for about a week or so and we thought they were both going to make it, but one of the twins did in fact die. And my mind flashed back to that cold, lonely day when I, when I got out of the car there and I looked ahead at the gravesite and there was this little white casket and I just about lost it. But I composed myself and by the Spirit of God, He made me strong to be there for those two grieving Christian parents weeping over the loss of their son. Listen, this is what God had me recall who they would never see their son grow up to play ball. They would never see their son play with toys in a bathtub. Needless to say, I did not institute the new toy rule for the bathtub. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It was like, bang, instantly. I went from, oh, God, thank you for being so good to me and my wife. Thank you for these toys. Thank you for my son. We have what those parents will not have. We got to see and are still getting to see our son grow up and play ball and toys. Now, here's the cool point. It didn't just correct me that one time. That was six years ago. Every time when I see toys in the bathtub, still to this day, 
I'm at peace. And it causes me, I recall, uh, just from one recalling, I thank you, God, for my son. I thank you for these toys. I thank you for being so good to us. There is nothing to be ungrateful for. It doesn't matter what you have. This is what I think we skip over. We go, we, we go yeah, I need to pray when I got problems or pain and, and get consumed with Jesus. Yeah, I know I need to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. But for some reason, we seem to skip over this middle one. Look, recall how good you really got it. You don't need to be full of worry. It doesn't matter if you have one hair, two hairs, three hairs, no hairs. It doesn't matter if you have a bathtub or not, let alone full of toys. God is good and he is faithful. That's the biblical attitude. And when you have that biblical attitude, it isn't just for us. It's, especially in our affluenza world today, it's a phenomenal witness. Like this guy learned, Arthur Blessed. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a traveling preacher who decided one day back in 1969 that he was going to carry a literal wooden cross across the planet to be a witness for Jesus. So he actually finished his journey in 2008 and he literally, as it goes, made it to every single nation on the planet. And as he sought to be a witness to the people that he encountered, it was in Africa, he says, that he found that they were the ones witnessing to him. He said they not only showed him a powerful lesson on where true joy and true peace comes from, but they exposed how much comfort and materialism, i.e. God's provision, that we here in America take for granted. And he says this, he, says, he said, it very much broke me. He said, I saw poor people, I mean, I saw poor people. He said, one little kid, listen to this, one little kid came up to me at the end of a meeting where I just walked into town and they were everywhere. And the little boy, he looked up into my eyes and he said, just sitting there, he was pulling on my pants. And all he said was this, mister, mister, would, would you remember my name? And he said, I, I said, what? And the little kid, he just said, would you remember my name? And he says this, he said, that he, that, that's all he wanted. He didn't have nothing. He had no football. He had no, no basketball, no toys, no nothing. The only thing he had was a hope that one strange man with a cross would remember his name. And he said, I turned to the boy and I says, I promise you this, Jesus will remember your name. And he says, and I saw people full of sores and illnesses and no doctors. I mean, no doctors, no doctors for hundreds of miles. And you would see people with an arm bit really crooked and messed up. And he would say, well, what happened to them? And they says, well, they got their arm broke, but nobody's there to set it. And he says, this is where the faith healers need to be. He said, two years in Africa, I came back to the United States before Christmas time in New York. And I went to New York City and I walked into those stores and I couldn't believe it. The kids were there. They were fussing over the toys and everything everywhere. And I saw these grim faces everywhere. And everybody in the streets, they're all grim and hard and grateful and grumpy. And he says, I thought those people in Africa are happier than the people in New York City. I saw more smiles on the faces in Africa than in New York. He said, I saw kids, they were just kicking a coconut. They didn't even have a soccer ball, but they were smiling. Listen, they were smiling, they were laughing. Listen, and I loved to be with them. Can I translate that for you? We're not in Africa, and we don't have to kick a coconut. But when we have this true joy and true peace from Jesus, that it doesn't matter if it's a high time, low time, one hair, two hairs, no hair, toys, no toys. People want to be around somebody like that. And then when they come to you and I with that genuine biblical attitude, what's the great opportunity? 
It's Jesus. Jesus will remember your name. Jesus will take care of you. Hey, I may not have a Cadillac, but it doesn't matter. I got Jesus. That's the witness that we're missing, okay? And this is the witness we need to get back, especially in our world. It's, it's crumbling apart. Have you noticed? Right? We're set free from this. It doesn't matter what our problems have. Problems this, problems no problems. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All you need to do is just recall God's provision. Seek Him first, His kingdom, His righteousness. Trust Him. He'll take care of you. You got a need, you just pray. Get consumed with Jesus. And then as you wait upon Him, recall. Recall how good He is. Recall that God is faithful. Recall that God could do anything and he's not dried up on the throne. Recall that God will never, no matter what you have or don't have, no matter what problem you have, God will never fail us. And you could be at peace. Like these people sing, we'll close in prayer to this. Failure doesn't phase you.
I may have fears of rejection. Might be afraid to trust. Might have lost a child. Might have been abused as a child. May have been divorced, out of work, got health issues. Maybe I just flat out feel lost. I can still have God's peace if I just recall, look around. He fails us not. We got a good life. There is nothing above him, nothing beyond him, nothing he cannot do. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Aren't you much more valuable than they? You're my child. And I will take care of you. So whatever may come, whatever may be, I will rise above. My hope is secure because God is bigger than any battle I face. Turn to somebody and say, God fails us not. Amen? When we recall that, there's peace. And then, when we get busy sharing the gospel, it's like a moth to a flame, man. Where do you get that? How much did that cost? And then you get to tell them, it ain't a pill. It's called the gospel. Right? It's Jesus. And you lead them to them. That's how you experience God's peace. That's how we begin to experience those lives worth living for in these last days, leading souls to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, 
has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free 
right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.